Episode 1, From Lost to Found. Hello and welcome back. I am here, as promised, to tell you my story of how I became a giant slayer. So let's jump right on in. Uh, I was induced into the world because my mom was sick with me when she was pregnant and it got to a point where the doctors were concerned about my well-being. Um, so I kind of had a quick and abrupt start into the world. Um, my mom was able to come home for Christmas that year and then she went back into the hospital and never came back out. And during that time, uh, my dad was working a really good job and um, was trying to balance life with me and my older two brothers. And so our house was a little bit of a revolving door with friends and family coming to help out. And so in the midst of all that crazy, uh, he ended up hiring a nanny from England. And she came before my first, first birthday and started to help out the family. Um, and then just to fast forward that a little bit, my dad ended up falling in love with her and they got married a couple days after my fourth birthday. And by this time she had already had a son of her own. So we became a blended family and they ended up having two more kids together, um, later on after they were married. Um, so our home was, um, very much full of the blended family dynamics as well as uh, generational issues um, that were in our family. So there was a lot of physical, verbal, mental, emotional, spiritual, and um, as well as sexual abuse in our home. Um, and so from there, I'm just going to kind of dive into my part of that. Um, at a young age, I was molested by a cousin um, I believe it was before I even started school or possibly in kindergarten. Uh, and I remember like going and telling about it, but not really remembering much about what happened from there. And that cousin was allowed to visit our farm frequently, so I don't think much was really done about it. Um, and then at the age of six, my best friend and I were kidnapped by a known sex offender uh, we were walking to school one day and uh, with my brother and his friend and I got into a fight with my brother. And so my friend and I took off down an alley and bumped into this guy and he convinced us that his truck was broken down and he really needed our help. And as a kid, I was so sensitive that I just really felt for this guy. And so uh, I went to help him and next thing I know, he's throwing my best friend over my head and jumping in and tearing off with us in his truck. And so he ended up taking us out to a field on the side of a highway and um, molesting us and then violently raping my best friend who was 10 years old in front of me. Uh, and then he drove back and he dropped us off where he had picked us up. And from there, things just really becoming more traumatizing because we ended up having to talk to cops and uh, my stepmom took me through the alley and, and was making me tell her what happened and I just remember just being more and more traumatized and um, then at lunchtime we got fed hot dogs and I remember biting into it and wanting to throw it up because of what it reminded me of and um, that day something broke inside of me and I, I really believe that it was a fracture to my spirit. Um, something just went dark and then from there in uh, about grade two my brother's friend repeatedly molested me uh, around the school and around the neighborhood because he lived in the same neighborhood as us um, whenever he found me alone. And again, when I told about that, um, I got taken to their house and I remember he was sitting in the living room with a smirk on his face and I was just so scared. And I sat at the table with his mom and his mom started to get really mean with me. Like, you know, my son would never do that. And pretty much that I was a liar. And then anyways, my stepmom sent me home. And so as a little kid, 
I had to walk home by myself and I don't know if it was even half a block they were like I said they were on the same block as us and but I remember walking home just feeling so alone and so um just disconnected really um and I don't really remember much being said after that about it and I remember just promising to myself that if this was ever to happen to me again I would tell nobody because it just felt more traumatizing to tell um the truth and I just felt like nobody believed me when I would tell the truth and I felt like you know my parents didn't really care because I felt like you know it just didn't feel like they did much about it and I didn't feel like I was getting the help or being heard the way I wanted to be heard or needed to be heard um so I made that pact that I would never tell anybody again and uh so in about grade four another cousin started to force himself on me and and was molesting me and thankfully it didn't last long uh my parents noticed that he was hanging around and they very sternly told me I wasn't to hang out with him and um have anything to do with him because he wasn't safe and and I just remember just sobbing and they really awkwardly kind of just hugged me and that was really the end of it and again I just felt so alone because it was just like does nobody care you know can they not see and um so I carried on with life and I I held true to that pack I never told anybody because it was like what was the point and then at the age of eight uh my older brother one of them uh started molesting me and um at the age of nine uh, we were we were a family that went to church um, and at the age of nine I don't remember why I don't remember what led up to it or anything like that but I remember asking Jesus into my heart and you know some people have these amazing testimonies when they meet Jesus and I can't really say I did I didn't feel like anything changed I didn't feel like anything was different and I remember telling uh, one of my parents and just instantly regretting it because I felt like I had become a feather in their cap like you know it was their their good deeds that I had gotten saved and and I and I just remember just hating that moment and wishing I had never said anything and you know at the time I really felt like nothing changed and really I didn't get clarity until looking back now where I'm at today to see where Jesus was but he ended up being this lifeline for me and something to hold on to and so that's kind of where that was and then so by the age of eight by the age of 10 uh my brother had then taken my virginity and started to rape me repeatedly until the age of 15. And I remember one time breaking my light switch in my bedroom at a young age because I was so angry with God. I was so angry. Like, how could you let this happen? How could, how could this keep happening? Like, where are you? Because my church tells me one story, but I don't see you. Like, why? And, and I just remember just, just really feeling hopeless. But yet, for some reason, I kept a hold of Jesus. I, I would talk to him and, you know, whatever. And throughout my childhood, I was tormented by the devil. I, uh, through dreams um, and through visions, I would see anacondas all over my floor. And it would freak me out as a kid. And I didn't know until later on in life that I had what they call a seer's gift where I could see into the spirit and he would torment me through that. And um, so my, my childhood was just really volatile in a lot of ways. And, you know, a lot of people always ask me or say to me, oh, well, it couldn't have been all bad. No, it wasn't. But I think what people don't understand is because there was so much garbage going on that a lot of the good was tied in with the bad so even if someone was to be like hey remember when 
It might have been a good moment, but then shortly after it would have twisted into something else. So um, I just felt really broken as a kid. I felt fractured. I felt um, disconnected. Emotionally, I was, I was dead. I had a heart wall that I had formed to keep people out. Um, so oftentimes I would feel people try to love me but it would hit my chest and fall to my feet. And, and there were times where I would try to love someone and it couldn't, it was like it couldn't penetrate that heart wall. Um, so what ended up happening was I would mirror people's emotions back to them and I would just show them what I thought that they wanted to see. Um, and that was really how I survived through um, childhood with this fractured spirit and, and these deep soul wounds from abuse. Um, so by the time I hit 15, everything just blew up. Uh, my stepmom read my journal, um, that I was sharing with a lady from the church that was, um, helping me, you know, um, figure out things cause I wasn't ready to tell people. And so she was just helping me release it. Um, and so my, my stepmom and my dad read my journal and everything just kind of, like I said, just went crazy after that. And um, it just turned into this big war, really. It just felt like everything was going crazy. And, you know, my already crazy life was just starting to unravel. And I just remember just not really knowing how to stand and and you know like drowning really and um so I ended up having to well I got talked into talking to the pastor about everything uh of the church at the time that we were going to and so after I told him he was like because of my position I have to tell the cops and I remember just feeling so betrayed and and the cops were the last people I wanted to talk to because when I was kidnapped um as a kid talking to the cops was really traumatizing after and and I just remember being so mortified that I would have to talk to the cops again and uh so I ended up in a, in, in the cop shop and the cop that started to question me was really really harsh and and some of the things he said to me were horrible um and essentially said like well you must have you know done something for him to rape you for that many years like he must have been um uh like pretty much that you must have wanted it and um I just remember just sitting there like are you kidding me like you know and um so that ended up being horrible and so they wanted me to press charges against my brother and I was just having such a hard time with everything emotionally that I refused to press charges. So then it came back that the law enforcement was going to press charges. So they went forward with it and everything moved into court. And um, that was a whole year of just horrible. <laughs> For anybody that's had to deal with the court systems, it's not fun. Uh, my parents sat with my brother and they had to walk past me every time in court and um, they wouldn't acknowledge me. The one time that they acknowledged me was to throw a box of my stuff at me and be like, here, you forgot this. Because uh, I had moved out when I was 15 because things in my house started to get more and more violent because I didn't know how else to get my feelings out. So I started to act out. Uh, rather violently um, towards my stepmom because my stepmom and I had a very volatile relationship and at one point we had a fight where I knew that if I didn't move out someone was going to end up dead and I knew it wasn't going to be me and uh, that weighed really heavy on me because I was still really a sensitive person underneath all the walls and stuff and I knew that it wasn't me and, and it wasn't something that I wanted on my hands. And so thankfully, some people from the church had helped me uh, find a place to live. And so I had moved out at the age of 15 and um, they just helped. Like, thank God they helped me through that whole entire scenario. And um, 
But by this time, by the age of 15 and by the time I had moved out, um, I already had a pile of addictions. I had started smoking pot at the age of 10. Or sorry, I started smoking cigarettes at the age of 10. And um, I had already been sneaking drinks here and there where I could. Um, I was addicted to Tylenol and Advil. I popped them like really any excuse. Like I could have an itchy arm and I'd be like, oh, I need a Tylenol, you know, like, so um, I was already addicted to pills. And um, yeah, so by the time I was 15, like I, I was already a pretty big mess. And I remember around that time, um, about 15 or 16 in church, I don't remember why, again, I don't remember really what led up to it, but I remember just going up to the altar in church, just being so broken and just being like, you know, Jesus, if you're real, I need help. I need help. And whoever it was came in and, and prayed over me and I ended up going out under the spirit. Um, and if it, if you're not familiar with that, you just, it's almost like you pass out, but, it, but it's not, it's, it's very supernatural. It's very, I don't know. You just wake up on the floor like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> um, so I woke up on the floor just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I remember these two little kids, uh, the grandkids of the people that I was staying with came over to me and they were like, why are you crying? And uh, I was just like, because Jesus healed me. And I didn't know why, I didn't know how, I just knew that something had changed because I just felt like a totally different person and I I cried there for a long time and um, my life changed for a while. For about six months I was the happiest I'd ever been, I felt free, I felt light, I felt amazing and the church didn't really give me a whole lot of tools, I, I didn't really understand what had happened, I didn't really know what it meant I just knew that something had changed and I felt better and I felt good and so I started to get tempted again uh this family that I happened to be living with at the time um their daughter was living a life of rebellion as well and um you know she'd be like come up come smoke with me and I hadn't touched anything in six months I, I like all my addictions everything just left and uh, I had been healed of all of it and I didn't even have a taste for it I didn't I wasn't even interested and you know over that six months she just kept working on me like come on let's have a smoke let's come on let's go do this come on let's go do that and I was just like no no I'm good I'm good I'm good and um I just remember about the six month mark I just gave in and I was just like yeah what's a cigarette like it's not going to hurt anything it's not a big deal and it was a big deal. It was a real big deal because that ended up sucking me back into the life of addictions. And this time around, though, it got worse. Uh, I started to smoke again really heavy. I started to party. Um, I started to drink more. And um, I had been... Um, uh, at one party I ended up going to a party for the weekend at about the age of 17 and and uh, raped really bad by a cousin at this party he had shown up there randomly and um, it just kind of just went downhill more and more and more and and the more I drank the less I cared um, I had dropped out of school by the age of or by the grade by grade 10 um I had mentally dropped out in grade 8 and had been cheating on all my tests um for a couple of years um and so by by about 17 or uh I think you're 16 17 in grade 10 I don't even know but about that time anyways I I dropped out and um again partying and all that kind of started to take place and um, I moved into my own place at 17 and got got a job and because um, I, I was just too messed up to live with families like the two families that had taken me in 
Um, I'm so thankful for them, but man, I don't, I don't even know how they put up with me for the length that they did. But um, anyways, I ended up getting my own place and uh, dropped out of school and got a job and I just started to um, party more. And the job that I had at the time ended up where they would feed me. Um, you would get like a meal a day or whatever. So I would work it out so that I would have enough food for the day. And then uh, after my bills were paid, uh, the rest of my money went towards booze. And so, of course, it just got more and more intense. And um, I was back into pill popping and mixing now pills with alcohol. Um, So it was still pain pills for the most part, but I know off and on I was on antidepressants and I would mix that. Um, And then by about the age of 23... I was at this party where they were they were passing around uh, a joint and I just really didn't care. I, you know, a bus could have hit me and it would have done me a favor. You know, like I really had no value for my life. Um, I was cutting and just all kinds of garbage. Um, I was in and out of relationships. Uh, I hated men. I hated them so much, but I really thought that that was all I was good for so even though I didn't want to date I was in relationships with you know guys that were just really not nice guys um and so by this time I'm just like who cares and I had been really really against you know drugs up until this point uh except for obviously prescription drugs but um I I just remember that night just thinking I don't care and so I started smoking pot and uh So that just added to what I was already doing and uh, because I wasn't getting high enough anymore. So that was just a next step. Um, And yeah, and then it just went, it just got worse from there where I was in and out of relationships. I was cheating on people like I just didn't care about anyone. I didn't care about myself. I just mirrored what people wanted so that one that they could get what they wanted and they wouldn't hurt me and one that I would get what I wanted. I was disconnected from my body. I hated my body. Um, I literally felt like a walking head because I just didn't acknowledge my body at all. Um, I was really the epitome of broken. And yeah, sex was just this thing that I associated with love. I just thought that that's what I was here for and um that's just how you got like that was the cards I was dealt I guess like I was just here to be a guy's mattress sort of thing and so I just had no value for myself and um yeah I became a functioning alcoholic a pill popper a sex addict um a marijuana I was I was addicted to that I had sleeping issues I had eating issues Uh, weight issues, anger issues, I was suicidal, I was depressed, Um, and I had started going to therapy at about the age of 18, or sorry, at the age of 15, and my my therapist, um, who's my friend now, would tell you, like, I was one of the angriest um, clients she had, and it took about a year for me to get my anger under control, um, So like this just kept compounding over time. And even though I was in therapy uh, till about the age of 21, it just, it didn't get better. It just got worse because I I started to care less and less about myself. And, and the crazy part is though, is like looking back now is like God talked to me through that whole time, whether it was through dreams. um, I don't recall having too many visions. But sometimes I would just hear him talk. Um, But definitely through dreams, occasionally he would show me things. And and I still talk to Jesus, you know. Even though I really question him even being real. Even though I really question God. Like, um, and even though I hated the church, like I hated the church. By the age of 18, the second I could leave church, I left church. And I was just like, God, if that's you, I don't want it. And the church had just 
felt like a bunch of vultures waiting for me to trip so they could rip me apart. Like, I didn't feel great about the church. Um, I hated religion. And so, you know, by this time in my life, by about 23, 24, you know, I just really felt like this was it. This was my life. And so I really didn't care if I died. And I didn't have value for myself or my body. I didn't have value for anybody else. Um, so then the other thing that was at play was I remember at the age of 10 going to camp and, uh, I was really attracted to the camp counselor and I would follow her around and, you know, I didn't really think much of it. I just thought, wow, this, this woman is amazing. And, and I was like a little puppy dog. I just followed her around and this dynamic started to play in my life too, where, I was like, you know, maybe I'm attracted to women and, and I started to fight with that because of my religious upbringing. Obviously, that was like the dirtiest and worst sin you could ever commit. Um, so that was something else that was also going along in the background. Um, and so as things started to get deeper and uglier and darker in my life, um, I started to pursue that but I never did it in a way enough for it to be considered anything because I was just like oh I'm just fooling around oh I was drunk oh you know this that whatever and then uh, by about 24 I was right into it and had it justified and was just like you know this is who I am and I hate men and you know whatever and before that became my life um I ended up pregnant at a party and um, that really, really put my life into a spin. I had never wanted kids and it fueled my hatred for myself and for men even further because in that mess, even though I never wanted kids, even though I never wanted to be pregnant, you know, all that kind of stuff, um, it hit me so hard that it was like, my consequence or the consequences of my actions were now going to affect an innocent child and I didn't think I could hate myself any more than I already did but let me tell you that really catapulted me into a whole different dynamic of self-hatred and so I was given a choice of abortion or adoption uh, for my baby and I picked adoption because abortion was not a choice and I just thought you know I, I couldn't make that decision anyways because I had already screwed up my life enough and I knew to do that it would totally destroy me and so I wrestled for months um, and I quit drinking I because I, I found out when I was about eight weeks pregnant and I instantly quit drinking I instantly stopped doing anything stupid and I just really took it seriously that this was my my mistake and my screw up and this this little innocent baby would not pay any more than it was already going to and I got quite ferocious about making sure that uh, this baby was kept safe and I didn't know right away if I was going to do adoption I I wrestled pretty much the whole entire pregnancy um, as to what to do and I just kept coming back to this like I'm way too screwed up to raise a kid like I don't trust my anger issues I don't trust my you know my need for these addictions and like I just really didn't think I could be a mother and, and I never had pictured myself as a mother and you know the the devil just got in there and really made sure that I thought I was the biggest piece of crap and that I could never ever ever raise a child because I couldn't even take care of myself and um, so by about November my son was born in January by by November I, f I finally had made my decision that adoption was the choice and and I just really thought that I was unfit and um, and I had to do the best for for my baby and so um, I found a family through an agency and the minute I laid eyes on them 
I fell in love with them and I just was like, I know that this is who God has chosen for my baby. Because I had prayed, you know, like, God, help me, like, help me find someone that can love this baby like I can't. And so, yeah, I met them and I just, I fell in love with them and I was just like, thank you. Like, I knew that they were the ones. And um, even then, I can't say that I made up my mind fully. I went back and forth the whole entire time. Like, am I making a mistake? Can I do this? Like, you know, this whole entire thing. And then... In January, um, they they got to be there during the time outside the door of the delivery room while I gave birth to my son. And um, even then, I just, I really didn't know if I was making the right decision. And um, I just held him close that whole entire time that I got to hold him and, and um, just hoped that I was making the right decision. And... I got to spend that time with him and I got to spend that time with them. And then after you do sign the papers for adoption, you have 10 days to change your mind. And it was the hardest and longest 10 days of my life. I went back and forth like a crazy person. I just, you know, one day it was just like, no, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And the next day it would be like, who am I kidding? I'm a, I'm a dumpster fire. Like I'm a hot dumpster fire. Like I can't do this. And, um, by the end of the 10 days, I just was so convinced that I couldn't do it. And I remember during that time, I, w- I would wake up to him crying. I could hear him crying. And I don't know if it was in the spirit that I could hear him crying, but I would wake up and then remember, oh yeah, I gave him up. And I would just sob myself back to sleep. And... That went on for a long time. Um, and I I had some really, really horrible things happen through well-meaning Christians. Um, you know, some of them, the whole time I was pregnant, would just be like, oh, how are you? And, you know, they would, they would treat me really good and, and act concerned and, you know, whatever. And then after my after I gave them up for adoption, um, they would completely ignore me and wouldn't even acknowledge that I was there. And um, I had some of them tell me, you know, you should, you made your bed, you should have slept in it. And and I just remember thinking like, what? Like, I am going to sleep in it. I'm going to sleep in it for the rest of my life. I just literally cut out my heart and gave it to somebody else. And, you know, so it was just... You know, again, just more more of being knocked down when you're down, right? And um, so anyways, I went to visit him shortly after the adoption just to make sure, like, you know, did I make the right choice? I wanted to make sure he was okay and, you know, and uh, I went and I had a great visit with him and I got on a bus after that to go to a different town because I knew that there was a party at that town and... At this time, I was on pretty strong antidepressants and Ativan. And so on the bus, I ended up taking Ativan and um, go to this party and I start drinking. And I got about six beer in and they started passing around mushrooms. And so I took them and I was like, sure, why not? Like, who cares? And the lady... um, or sorry, and then so I was I was thinking about taking them, and I just heard a voice as clear as a bell, "Do not do it." And I remember kind of being bitter about it, like, "Oh, whatever, like, who cares, you know, whatever." But it was just clear as a bell again, "Do not do it." And so I went to put them in my pocket, and the lady that was passing them out was like, "No, if you don't take them right now, you have to pay for them." And I remember thinking, "Well, I'm not paying to kill myself." And so then I debated again to take them, but then I, I, for whatever reason, I threw them back across the table at her. And then I started to not feel too good, and I went into the living room and went to lay on uh, someone's lap, and all of a sudden I was just like, oh my goodness, something's not right. 
and I got up and then I came crashing down. I had no control over my body and I just remember clawing at what little carpet they had to get to the door and I was just like something's not right something's not right and somehow I got to the door and got it open and I ended up getting sick all over their front step and then I don't really remember much I remember them helping me in the bathroom and then I vaguely remember them driving me home and now remember they were all high on who knows what driving me back to the place I was staying at and I didn't care. I just didn't care. Like, I could have died in that car and I wouldn't have cared. And anyways, the next morning I woke up with my head literally in a toilet. And I just heard this voice say, Next time, it's not going to end well. Like, you can't, pretty much you can't get any lower than this. And then again, I heard a voice very clearly say to me, what would you do if your son walked into this bathroom and saw you like this? And I started sobbing. And I realized in that moment, I never wanted my son to know that he was born from a loser. I never wanted my son to hear that his birth mother had killed herself. Um... I just, I just never wanted that to be his reality and it broke my heart that that's what I was doing and I didn't care. And I didn't care that, that if I had killed myself, it would have affected him in a negative way even more than my decisions for him probably already did. And I, I just remember it breaking my heart. And I'd like to say that my life turned around right after that. <laughs> I'd like to say that everything was fine and dandy, but it was not. Uh, I was very much addicted to my lifestyle, very much addicted to um, all my addictions. and But something changed in me where it was like, I need, I need to change. And so I ended up, you know, walking up a very big mountain, <laughs> one step at a time. And it started off with me addressing my depression. Because I realized that a lot of my problems stemmed from depression and suicide. And so I would get up in the mornings and be like, today I'm, I'm going to have a good day. Was it always a good day? No, very rarely. But I made that choice. And every day I had to face depression. Every day I had to say, today I'm not going to be depressed. Did it work? No, not all the time. In fact, most of the time, more than not, I felt depressed. Most of the time I felt suicidal. But I made the choice every day to try to think differently. And so slowly but surely I started to come out of um, addictions here and there. Um, but again, it, it really was a long haul because I was, I was 25 when my son was born. And I didn't really kick a lot of it until... Uh, my late 20s and some of it I didn't even kick until just recently um, so yeah I'm doing this uphill climb and then my my family relationship was still really unhealthy really just I really didn't have a lot to do with my family and I got to an age where I was just like you know I, I really want to fix things with my family. Like, I'm tired of not belonging anywhere. I'm tired of being broken. I'm tired of... I just hated my life. And, and I just wanted someone to love me, to be quite honest. I didn't feel like I was loved. I, I, I was so hungry for someone to love me. Um, that I went back to the farm and I, I just laid my cards on the table and said, you know, I, I want different. I want... I want a relationship and, and, you know, whatever it takes, um, I want to bridge that gap. And it was a great visit and, you know, whatever. And then a month later, I find out that my dad has lung cancer. And I was just like, wow, the timing on that was definitely God timing. <laughs> um, so I, I'm so thankful today because I got to spend a year with my dad even though it was hard to see him like that, 
um, a lot of healing was allowed in that time. Even though my dad and I never talked about our issues, we never talked about anything. Um, there was two times in particular where he just had to look at me and there was healing. And then my dad and I weren't really affectionate. We weren't really touchy-feely. Um, I had an incident with him in my childhood that scared me really, really bad. And I thought that he was going to I thought that he was going to molest me and hurt me too. And, and it was an accident on his part. I can see it now. But but as a kid, I was just so terrified that he was going to do it too. And so I shut down on my father. And um, so touchy, touchy-feely wasn't really our relationship. And, um, you know, he, things would heal with him just taking my hand sometimes when he was sick. And it was so foreign to me that the first couple of times I actually ripped my hand out of his, like, what are you doing? <laughs> but, uh, but then I forced myself. Like the next time he does that, you keep your hand there and you drink in every moment you have with your dad because time is precious. And so, yeah, there was healing that was allowed. And, and I'm so thankful to God to this day that that happened. Um, anyways, uh, so my dad passed away and um, it was a very powerful passing. Um, maybe one sometime I'll share it because... It was so powerful that I remember in that moment going, whoa, there is a God. Like, wow. Um, But funny enough, I still questioned God after that. And um, I still, you know, he would still show up in the darkest hours, but I would still question, are you real? You know, and, and for some reason, I still held on to the fact that, you know, there was hope. There was this sliver of hope and I, I still, and I, I never knew what that hope was, but I just felt like if other people can be happy, so can I. And, and I realized now that looking back that that hope that I was holding on to was Jesus. And so I, after my dad's passing, uh, about two years after mourning him, um, one day I just got this idea, like, what was it that my dad showed me that, um, really, impacted my life like what was something good that he actually put into my life because up until that point I didn't really think my parents had put much good into me and uh anyways I just remember this one day he had just coughed up his lung into a garbage can and we got called to the dinner table and he prayed over the meal and the first thing out of his mouth was Lord thank you for this day and I remember getting so angry with him like how could you Thank God for this day when you literally just coughed up your lung into a garbage can. But anyways, after he passed and and this two years after this two years had passed, that really struck me because I was just like, he was literally facing death and he still was able to bow his head and thank God for the day. And that really spoke to me. So I started a gratitude journal, a 52 week gratitude journal. That completely changed my life and really helped me out of depression and and um, seeing life differently was just to see what good was in my life. Because up until that point, I really couldn't see the good. It was just darkness. It was just torment 24-7. Um, and so I started doing that and then I just started diving into self-help like crazy. Anything I could read, anything I could find, anything I could listen to. And uh, I tried EPT, uh, which is emotional polarity technique. Um, I was in counseling again because I'd went to my doctor after my dad had passed and just said, like, either um, put me into a mental institute or I'm going to kill myself. Like, I was so over life. I was like, I didn't think I could handle any more pain in my life because after my dad died, I just felt like an orphan. It was just like, now there's really nobody to love me. Now there's really nobody standing between me and death. And like, I'm all alone. And I just, I was just so over life. And, and so she helped me out and got me into therapy again. And, um, yeah, so it was like, again, this battle of just being, going uphill, trying to find answers, trying to find, you know, whatever. And, um, during this time I ended up meeting somebody and got into a relationship and, uh, we stayed together for seven years. And during that time I was just on this constant journey of like trying to find myself, 
and trying to do my best to love my partner and it was just it was just a mess and I mean not that it was all bad but on my half I was just I was so broken and and just wanting to belong somewhere I just wanted to again I just wanted to be loved that was really that was really the gist of it I just wanted to belong somewhere I just wanted to be accepted for who I was and so during the seven years the more that God showed up in my life, it felt like the more my relationship and and my partner and I drifted apart. And um, finally got to the point where we just really had to get honest with each other and we wanted different things in life. And even though we still loved each other, it was just like we recognized that, you know, we had come as far as we could go. And um, thankfully, God, during this time had set me up with a job and um, I took the job but during the interview he said to me very clearly don't get comfortable here you're not going to be here long and then he also showed me some stuff about the owner and gave me a warning and so I was just like okay thank you and so I took the job and what God had shown me was true about this job and then uh, about a month before my job was over, God ga- came to me again and he said, would you like to spend time with me? And I was kind of bitter because, you know, I I was still really hurt about my relationship being over and being called out of my relationship. I was angry because I was about to lose my job. I was angry because um, not only did I lose a, a partner that I loved, but I lost the community that came with that. That felt more like family to me than my actual family. And so, again, I find myself alone. And so I wasn't very happy about it. And uh, so when God was like, do you want to spend time with me? I was like, yeah, sure. What else do I have to do? I think he was hoping that I would be a little bit more optimistic, but he took it anyways. He's he's really gracious that way. And so he said, okay, well, your job's about to end. So I said, okay, fine, I'll hang out with you. And um, so sure enough, my job ends in a month. And um, the first two weeks with God were so intense he started to show me how to deliver myself from all the torment and all the demons that were speaking into my life. Um, it was 24-7, kill yourself, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're, you're fat, you're, you're a loser, you're, you, you're just addicted to everything, you're dirty, you're filthy, um, you're a failure. Like just, just anything you could possibly think of, I'm sure, was in my head 24-7. Even at night while I slept, I was under torment. And um, that's why I didn't sleep well. It was just constant. And so during this two weeks, he just showed me how to clear my life of this torment. And then I remember after that two weeks, it was almost like, and it was like such a dark, dark, dark two weeks, but then it felt like something lifted. And then I was just like, oh, thank God. And I thought it was over, like, yay, I can go back to work, I can go back to life. And But then about that time, it was about Thanksgiving. And all of a sudden, for that Thanksgiving weekend, every demon, I swear, that I kicked out of my life came screaming back in. And I went under this intense attack for this three days of Thanksgiving. And it was just like kill yourself no I don't want to you're you're stupid you're a failure it's never gonna work it's you know this is a joke who are you kidding like you're you're filthy you're never gonna be anything and like just it was so heavy it was so crazy and I was starting to see like things like uh different colored orbs flying around and I was just like oh my god I am going crazy and um I I seen like uh, um like like these clouds or something like smoky clouds and I was just seeing things and I was just like what is actually happening right now and 
just when I thought I couldn't take it anymore by the end of that three days or whatever it was um all of a sudden it broke and it was like the stillest most quiet that I've ever heard in my life and it was like my whole entire being just sighed a sigh of relief like it's over like you will never have to do this again and I just remember being so relieved and so happy like thank god (laughs) and but honestly I just didn't know how I made it through that and then God showed me he's like what you felt this weekend was what you carried your whole entire life so he literally showed me the difference of how I felt delivered from it And then he reminded me, like, this is how it felt that whole entire... So honestly, guys, I don't know how I'm still alive. I really don't. I I was just so amazed and and so undone by what he had done in my life. And how much he had changed my life and healed my life. Um, So yeah, and then, of course, from there, I thought, great, I can go back to work. I can, you know, right? And then he made it very clear, no, you're not going back to work yet. And I was like, oh, well, okay. And so I filed for unemployment. And um, I would like to say it was easy. I'd like to say it was a great time. Um, But he definitely put me through uh, some tests. And um, he just started to show me more and more and more about myself. And like, you know, uh, money is an idol to you. You think that if you have enough money, you're going to be secure. But the fact of the matter is, is that money comes and goes. It's not your security. He's like, I'm your security. And so I was like, oh, okay. So then I ended up on a very tight budget where, you know, I remember at one point uh, going in with $35 for groceries and being like, you know, God, I need enough groceries for the next I don't know what it was, two weeks or a month or whatever. And I was just like, please help me. But I also want to tithe $3.50 of this $35. So, uh, you know, and I, and so I prayed over the money before I went into the grocery store and I ended up getting enough food and she gave me exact change back for three fifty. And he did these money miracles throughout my life. He's still doing them. Um, and, I'll, and I can come back to that. Um, but the other thing he was showing me was, um, like, he freed me from all my addictions. But then he was like, I want you out of debt. And I'm like, I'm not working. And he's like, I want you out of debt. So I paid off $10,000 $10, in debt. And um, I literally from there had to depend on what I was getting for EI and on God. And then... Um, he just kept teaching me and kept showing me stuff and kept growing me and healing me. Um, and then by December, he was like, okay, I want you to go back to church. And I was like, ha, yeah, no, you got the wrong girl. I'm not going back to church. There is no way I'm going back to church. And he kept pressing me and he had been pressing me for actually about two years, if I was honest, before that to go back to church. And I was just like, nope, not interested. Nope. But this time though there it just became very urgent like like no you don't understand I need you to go back to church like you have to go back to church and but he's a gentleman he never forces you you have free will but I just felt this urgency in my spirit and so uh I ended up going back to church one day uh he had highlighted a church to go back to and um (laughs) that's a whole nother story that I'll have to share another time because it literally took a couple of angels to get me through the doors because I did not want to go back. I was not interested in the church whatsoever because of my past experiences with religion. Um, But it was a beautiful experience. And I remember just looking around the church going, whoa, like I literally felt like I had just walked into God's heart. It was so beautiful. It was such a beautiful moment. Um, So yeah, so I started going back to church. Um, Every church meeting that I went to, he started meeting me in stronger and more powerful ways. He started to open up uh, the supernatural to me more and more and more. And um, yeah, I've just, life's been pretty crazy and and things are amazing and just getting better and better. And 
um, he just kept healing me deeper and deeper. And um, recently he did such a healing on me where he actually took me back to two and a half years old standing in front of my mother's casket. And he did this healing in me where he put his finger on something that was so broken in me. And he was like, I want to heal this. And so uh, thankfully a, a friend of mine helped me bridge that gap and and heal that area and the presence of God was in my house for almost two weeks just loving on me and healing me and and making me new again and whole again from that broken little girl state and I literally came out the other side of that two weeks feeling like a whole different person uh it was just so beautiful um and then during this time my EI had run out and I was like, okay, like, do you want me to get curbed? Do you want me to try to apply for EI again? Like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to get a job? And he was like, nope, 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 nope. And I was just like, oh, okay. And so I heard through the sermon one day, like, ask God who um, he wants to be for you that he couldn't be in your past life or in, like in your past season. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool question. So I said, I said, God, who do you want to be to me that I wouldn't let you be in my past season? And he said, your father. And I sobbed. I was just like, really? Like the God of the universe wants to be my father? And he was like, I want to be your provider. I want to be your father figure. And so I was just like, okay. And... So since EI was up, which was in um, May, he has been paying my bills. People just show up like, oh, I'd love to pay, like, you know, or a random job will show up that I'll do. And they'll be like, like one month, it was a random job that came up on my plate and it ended up covering my rent. Um Another month, it was a couple of my my friends. They're like my brothers in this, uh, my church brothers, my church family brothers, um, were like, "We'd like to bless you," and they ended up helping me pay my rent last month. And and um, you know, I've I've lived on the food that I've had in the house, um, and sometimes it gets kind of tight, but I haven't went hungry yet, and uh, and I and I know I'm not going to like. He's just been taking care of my bills and um, it's just been amazing to see like, you know, the Bible's not just a bunch of nice stories about cool, th- you know, miracles or, you know, like he's really showing me like this is the, I am that God. I am that God. I am the living God. I am real. I am true. And this is really only a little bit of what's happened because obviously I can't shove a whole lifetime of what he's done into an hour's recording um, or just over an hour's recording. Um, There's more money miracles that have happened in the past uh, 11 months. Um, And I know there's more coming because he's just, he's amazing. And so, you know, with me surrendering and just letting him be my, my father, um, he's he's been just like so amazing and I can I can't get over really what he's done in my life and you know I I I sit here today sharing my story um addiction free um he's restored my trust with men um I, I, I don't have, an, like, money isn't security for me anymore. Um, like, really, everything that I was battling with, it's gone. Like, I have a peace. Like, literally, it feels like the whole world's burning right now. And I have this peace where I'm just like, everything's good. Everything's good. Because I know that God has me and he's not going to drop me. And I have more love in my heart than I've ever had I, that I even knew was possible. 
I mean, I love you and I don't even know you, but my heart is just so full that I can't not love you. And it's just such a testimony of how beautiful Jesus is and what he's done in my life. And so, yeah, this is how I became a giant slayer through with, with Jesus is, you know, all those giants in my life, depression and, and suicide and addictions and, you know, all that stuff, it's gone. And so I'm here today to share this with you because if you've been through what I've been through or similar or you're going through it um, and you just don't think there's any hope or you just think that suicide's the only way out, I am living proof that that's a lie. You know, and you might say, well, I, I'm not a Christian. I don't, you know, whatever. God doesn't, he's not in the religion business. Satan is. We've bought this lie of religion. That's literally what it is, is a lie. It divides us. But God's about unity and love. When he looks down, he doesn't see religion. He sees his sons, he sees his daughters, and he just longs to pull you close and hold you and be your father too. He wants to provide for you too. He wants to be whatever you need him to be. He wants to heal you. He wants to make you whole. He wants to turn your life upside down. And whatever the enemy has used against you or tormented you with, he wants to take that away and he wants to turn it into good. He's so good. I really just stand amazed at him all the time at how good he is. You know, even to ask me to go back to church, he didn't send me back to any church. He sent me back to a church that has such a heart for him and such a love and they're, they're a family. Even though I barely talk to anybody in there, when I'm in there, I feel like I'm around family. I feel like I could walk up to anybody and be like, I need help and they would help me. And they wouldn't even ask. Like so polar opposite to what I was used to. He's bringing people into my life that actually care about me, that love me, that I actually feel like I can be myself around. And this isn't dissing people from my past. That's not what this is. You got to hear me that I wasn't able to be myself. It had nothing to do with those people. But I'm, I've been healed to the point where I can be myself. And I'm okay to be myself. And I'm okay if people reject me because it doesn't matter. Because the one God, the one living God, the, the living God of the universe that created the world with his mouth, with just speaking light be, loves me. And it's given me so much courage and confidence. And it's given me back my power. And I, I for the first time in my life, because I was sharing with you how I had identity issues, I didn't know what I was into I didn't know what I liked I didn't know I didn't really know anything about myself I didn't know why I was here I didn't know what my purposes were I didn't know it. I really didn't know myself because I all I knew was I identified with trauma that's all I knew was trauma from the very moment I came into this earth that's all I knew but he brought me back to who he created me to be and he's like no you're beautiful you're so perfect and like He's been saying things over me that just feel like, how can this be true? Because everybody's spoken the total opposite over my life. And I mean, not everybody. Again, I don't want to paint everybody with, you know, a big bad brush. Because we're all human we're, and we're all here trying to do our own, trying to do our best. But when you hear how he sees you, you'll be amazed, you'll be shocked. Because it'll be so different than what you've heard all your life. I can guarantee it. And that place in you that's looking for love. It's him. It's him that you're looking for. Because I, I have never felt and never met a love like his. All I ever knew was conditional love. If you do this, I'll love you. But when you come to him, he's like, rest in me and I'll love you anyways. If you screw up, I'll love you anyways. I know that you're going to make mistakes, but I'm going to love you anyways. He's amazing. And he's completely changed my life. And that's how I can stand here today as a giant slayer. And he wants to be with you and to do those things with you too.
He wants to heal, heal you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to be your joy. He wants to be your peace. He wants to be your comforter. You just have to call out to him. He'll be there. Because let me tell you something. In my most darkest broken moments, when nobody was around, he was there. He was the one that picked me up. He was the one that dusted me off. He was the one that was like, don't give up yet. Don't give up now. You got this. It was him. So I am confident that whatever you're facing today, he can help you with. You might think I'm so broken, I couldn't possibly be a giant slayer. But he looks at you and he says, oh, you have no idea who you are, but I want to show you. And so I'm going to wrap up today with that thought. And I hope this story encouraged you. And like I said, I can't share everything with you, but if you have any questions, you can ask and uh, I can always share in a different podcast. But I hope this encourages you and just gives you hope that no matter what situation you're in, he wants to be your God too. He wants to be your father too. He wants to be your savior too. He wants to be your healer, your deliverer. He really, really does. He loves you with an everlasting love. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. 